In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Ghost Chronicles International. I am Ron Kolick, slightly frozen, here in freezing New England, because we have the elections going on, and I've been holding signs since 7.30 this morning, and uh, I may never warm up, but anyways. Uh, joining me all the way across from the pond is Mr. Parascience himself. Mr. Stephen Parsons. Good afternoon, Vietnam. Uh, America. That's cool. That's cool. Um, hey, did you see it then? What? The Wall Street Journal. I can't find your article. I went through them all. There was nothing in there. Oh, yes, there was. What channel? Oh, I mean, which month? Which day? Uh, Halloween. Thursday, Friday. Front page, the A-head. I looked on three. Oh, let me read oh, it. It's going to be on Thursday. Now it was on Wednesday, Halloween. Oh, that's why I couldn't find it. I had my friend at the gas station hold me the copies and. Uh, ah, bummer. So tell me, how was it? Uh, I thought, well, I'm biased, obviously. I thought it came out rather well. I am. Um, I shall just read you the opening line. If there is a gold standard in ghost hunting, Steve Parsons is probably it. Oh, oh, hey. Seriously? That's, that's not bad, is it? I mean, you know, come on. That's what we call... <clears throat> that's what we call paid the journalist, got, got a good story. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles <laughs> International with the gold standard of, of ghost hunting, Mr. Parascience, Mr. Stephen Parsons, right here on uh, Tojinet, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Wow, the gold standard of ghost hunting. The go if there is a gold standard in ghost hunting, I am probably it, according to the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, but what do they know? I mean, they face... Oh, um, if, you'd have, if you'd have been here for the 48 hours and the thousands of questions, I mean, this guy was in depth. Woodward really? and Bernstein had nothing on this guy. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating. Uh, every, every possible avenue was explored. Um, the... I mean, you expect high standards of journalism from the Wall Street Journal, and boy, did I was I on the receiving end of it. Wait a minute, every avenue was explored. Yeah, this guy. So, this so guy they must mention my name then. Uh, your your name came up, yeah. Um, yeah, alongside, <laughs> alongside now, many others. <laughs> so All good. 
Well, it was interesting, right? Now, now, did he actually go in the field with you, or was it just a sit-down, head-to-head? Uh, both, both. Um, he he arrived from Belgium, uh, where he's based. He's the European Bureau bleh, reporter. Um, uh, he, he, I picked him up at the railway station, and do you know he he'd only been in the car a minute, and out came the notepad. Um, and then it was for the next twenty four hours solid. We went out to Carew Castle haunted location near us um did some stuff out there showed him around back to the back to the home office uh lots more questions went out for a meal lots more questions uh spent the evening together hundreds more questions who paid for the meal i've got to say the wall street journal did oh that's lovely go ahead um picked him up next morning uh lots more questions right down to even stood on the platform waiting for his train lots more questions and then right up to the tuesday night before publication about 50 texts and about 35 emails with yet more questions really absolutely i have to get a hold of this i have to get a hold of this article you know i went through three papers looking Uh, i'll tell you what if i if i give me a second if i go onto our chat room and do that. There you go. There's the link to it. There's the link. The Toggy Net chat room. I've just put the link onto the Wall Street Journal article. There you go. Click on that. You can read it. And do you know, I'm I'm starting to sound like Richard Felix now, aren't I? Gratuitous self-publicity. There's a a real original tagline, who are you going to call? Come on. It's Halloween. Huh? It's Halloween. That good of a journalist. He's got that dribble. Could have been worse. Who are you going to call? Come on. It could have been worse. Okay, if you say so. Anyway. I am posting this link right up on our page. Can we say enough, enough of the Richard Felix gratuitous self-publicity and on with the show? <laughs> Hang on, no, I want to get this posted on our our, our uh, Facebook page, which is Ghost Chronicles International. Okay. Anyways, so uh, you are pleased with the article? I think it's well balanced. Um, you know, it, it, it pulls up different perspectives. Some people, there, it, it deals with uh, somebody who says I'm too scientific and then talks to Professor French who says I'm possibly too much of a believer. I think that's balanced. See, if you're going to upset people, you upset both sides equally. Well, the, the thing that I'm interested in is, uh, I mean, did you come across very negative on the ghost hunting end? To be honest, what he's done in, I mean, he's had to condense it down to, you know, a page. Um, there's a whole lot of stuff that I thought, I, to be honest with you, before it was written, I was, I was actually a little... Uh, trepidous because I thought maybe my line about amateur, against amateur ghost groups trampling all over everything uh-huh. uh, was going to come off a little bit hard. But no, it's it's well balanced and it, it does actually say that you know I've been on TV too and it's opened doors for me. Um, you know, as he says, uh, I am to some de- degree a beneficiary um, of of television ghost hunting. Um, but yet, that I also 
point the finger of blame towards some of these shows for sidelining the series research. So, you know, it, 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 it's... It's it, it's it's that double-edged sword that you and I have talked about so many times. Yeah, I don't I don't know. It's just uh, I, I mean I think of all the the magazines um, that are newspapers that could do an article on it, I would think that the Wall Street Journal would do a pretty uh, detailed and even article. I would think. Yeah, I think I think it's come out very well balanced. Okay, I've got no complaint. I, I will have to look at the link link and uh, give my express my opinion on it. I look but, forward to it. Yeah, I was actually interviewed by the uh, Hong Kong Morning Post. Did you know that? No, no. This was several years ago. They were looking for proof of the paranormal, and I had told them that it really wasn't proof of the paranormal. It was just that. Uh, you could perhaps get evidence, but could you really say it's proof? And I would say no. So, anyway. Well, I had I had that same question put to me. Um, like, do, do you do you believe in ghosts? Uh, no, sorry. Do you, his last almost his last question as he got on the train was, do you believe the um, in an afterlife and that we survive death? Um, and it's a question I've always tried to dodge, um, but. Yeah, I think in, I gave him an honest answer, and I think uh-huh. the, the honest answer I gave him was, I hope so. I would like to believe in an afterlife, and I hope that we do survive death. I certainly wouldn't like to come back as a soap bubble that throws stones well, and you know, talks the whole flashing thing, lights. You know, the whole thing is, is it's the uh, epitaph on the, uh, the tombstone of the atheists all dressed up and no place to go. <laughs> Actually, do you know what it's going to say on mine? What? I told you I wasn't well. Ah, uh, that's an old one. I know, but it's a good one. I remember uh, one from a child, uh, from childhood, that was on an American tombstone, actually. A photograph. Uh, Here lies poor old colorblind Jed. Thought the lights were green when, in fact, they were red. I like that one. That's in an American graveyard somewhere. Maybe really? we can find it with cemetery trip- tripping. Yeah, I'll, sit, I'll put it in right on that. But anyways, uh, I don't know if you know it, but we've have a, we have an election over here today. Really? Our news is full of it. Something about Osama bin Laden and Mitt, Mitt I don't know, Rom- Romney? Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly right. I'm just looking for someone. Vote for Osama. Obama. Or is it Osama? <laughs> it's, it's Obama. Obama wasn't he? Isn't he the uh, the guy born in Kenya? Um, no, he was born in the United States. Uh, well, when he was over in Ireland a couple of years ago, he was claiming Irish descent. So uh, I'm, I'm sure he was. But then all <laughs> Americans claim Irish descent, don't they? Anyways, we have um, a uh, like I says we do have that election here, and and uh, so I thought I would bring in an expert in the paranormal um i would consider the gold standard of the paranormal here in the u.s and that would be mr uh, jeff belanger oh now there's the name that's uh, the halls of fame <laughs> are you kidding me no your how name, are you your name you, yeah your name echoes right across the atlantic jeff 
Oh, that's good to know. That's uh, and then that goes back, and it, I hear all kinds of obscenities in the. Uh, <laughs> the echo. You better believe it. Not from this station, you won't. Ah, uh, well, thank you, folks. Hey, good to be here. Happy Election Day. Mm, we're not having one. We're just suffering from yours. No, we we all are. You know, the good news is, by, uh, just a few more hours, folks, and we don't have to put up with these horrible ads anymore. Not enough mudslinging, I think, this year. I, uh, oh, yeah, I yeah, I think that might be it. But you, I, you know, I, I, if I was out holding signs for the election because I'm a, a good old Republican, so I, I right. was doing that and freezing my ever-loving, you know, what off. Right. And thinking, I wonder. I mean, Jeff has written a book about who haunts the White House. I wonder, during an election like this, do you think there is a more paranormal activity than normal? Oh, man. You know, I mean, I'm sure the White House is buzzing, and uh, and there's a lot of tension. But you got to figure, the, the presidents and first families and everybody, they're not there. They're not there right now. They're out on the campaign trail. They're out, uh, you know, stumping here and there and everywhere. So, um so I, I don't know. I, I, I certainly we think about it, you know, and it's I think it's a natural process to invoke uh former presidents, whether they're alive or dead. Oh well times were better or boy if we only had a guy like like Abe Lincoln still around or you know, or, or some of these old uh sorry? Yes, because we have so many vampires now. I don't know if you've ever been to the movies, Ron, in the last <laughs> couple of years, but the vampires apparently are everywhere, and we need Abraham Lincoln back to uh, right. take care of them, to dispatch some of these uh, these many vampires. Right. And we know, few we know people from... know that Abraham Lincoln was a vampire slayer. Yes, I know. Who knew? It's so that's That sounds like a, a, a book premise that was invented over a lot of drinking, doesn't it? I mean, can you just see? Them? You just see them at the bar, and they're just like, oh, "I have an idea, I have an idea." Abe Lincoln good, as a vampire slayer because Queen Victoria was also a well-known vampire slayer. Uh, she was. Is someone writing this down? There are books. There are books. Queen Victoria and the vampires. Vampire slayer. I, I love it. I think it's fantastic. And I've got this really neat. Talking about Abe Lincoln, I've uh, I was doing an event at the weekend and showed everybody Mumler's very famous photograph when Abe appeared back in the picture behind his wife. Oh right, sure, Mary Todd. That's one of the great uh, tragedies. You know, Mary Todd Lincoln was one of the great tragedies of American history. There was nothing in place for the widow of a of a slain president. You know, she really um, she had a rough time of it after. Um, you know, after, after leaving office and leaving Washington, just um, there was nothing in place to take care of her. And really, um, re- that, that whole presidency was such a tragedy all around. They, their son died while they were in the White House, uh, yeah. Willie. And, of course, uh, the president was assassinated, paid the ultimate price for the office. And, um, it was a just, rough time. For it, even yeah, it, it was, it was, the, the nation's at war with itself. That was not an easy time for the White House, for sure. You two talk over each other all the time? Yeah, yeah we do. Abe had a rough time, actually, even after he was dead, because they tried to steal his body a couple of times and had to move it a couple of times. Yeah, it's really, it's something. It's, it's, such a, it's such an incredible presidency, and it's become, it's become one of the standards. I remember seeing an interview with, uh, with George Bush the senior, who had said, in one of his early days in office, it was, I, it was the first time he had to send some troops into harm's way, and he was really struggling with the, you know, with the decision, and, and suddenly he said, he thought about, 
Abraham Lincoln and what he went through. And it kind of gave him some peace that, okay, I can get through this. And so I've always wondered, is, is the ghost of Abe Lincoln, is he so prominent at the White House because he's still hanging around out of a sense of duty or honor? Or is it because, you know, modern presidents need him? You know, need him there as that benchmark, as that, okay, it'll never be this bad. You know, as bad as it is for me right now, it was worse for Abe, and, and uh, that, that gives me some sense of strength that I can get through this. And it's, it's a hollowed place for sure when you go there, and, and it's, um, you think about all the history that was written, you know, right where you're standing. And, and certainly, um, you know, I'm a big believer that often ghosts are history demanding to be remembered in, in places like the White House. Uh, that's going to be true. Now, now neither of us will talk over each other. No, that's true. <laughs> Do you think the ghost of Morgan Freeman will one day haunt the White House? <laughs> you know, uh, he's going to haunt every movie voiceover ever, <laughs> I think. For at least a few years, you're going to hear his voice echoing in, in, in voiceovers because it's just so good. Um, we, have, we have an insurance company over here called More Than, and they use a, a sound-alike guy called More Than Freeman. Oh, so, nice. <laughs> so we have him advertising uh, car insurance, pet insurance, house insurance. I, you know, that's uh, it, it, there's nothing that guy can't do. I'll tell you. But um, but yeah, no, it, it's um, you know, I, I think I think when we if we look at if we look at ghosts as as just this history demanding to be remembered motif, uh, it, it's why it, it's part of the reason why these haunt, why, why these historic locations, why palaces and, and castles and and you know historic buildings like the White House uh, are just so revered and hollowed, you know, because we, you can't help but recall the history when, when you know it, when you have an understanding of it, a, appreciation for it, and then you go there. Um, I, I have little doubt that there's a reason that it replays for people, um, whether it's, you know, something residual or whether it's something truly still there. I mean, think about what's involved. If nothing else, in regard to U.S. presidents, think about the pictures. And this is all of them. It doesn't matter where you stand politically. Look at a photo when they take office and look at the photo when they leave office. They've aged decades, you know, in four years or eight years. They've just put on many, many years that uh, it can't be an easy job. Yeah, and, and you have done perhaps more research on the White House than anyone, I think, especially, I mean, the ghosts of the White House. And you have, um, you know, you've talked to a lot of people, you've researched some papers. Uh, I remember, like, there was even, was there something about George's Bush, his uh, White House that had to be uh, declassified? Uh, yeah, it, it was, the, yeah, the first Bush presidency. So what I did, you know, there's some amazing resources out there. Um, you know, the, the presidential libraries, which every president, um, gosh, for the last, oh, God, 60 years or so, ha has set up a presidential library, and that's the building that will hold all the all the material from their their presidency, and that I mean that that's everything, handwritten notes, emails, you name it. It all becomes um, public record. Now some of it is classified, some of it's classified for very good reasons, and some of it's classified for you know uh, ridiculous reasons. When I was working on the book the first time, uh, I called every presidential library and I got every reference to ghosts in the White House. I, I got copies of letters from uh, Hans Holzer requesting an investigation uh, in in the White House that it was denied. Um, I got um, every every reference. And then uh, in the Bush presidency, they said, you know, I have two here, but they're classified. Do you want to file a Freedom of Information Act? And I said, well, yes, of course I do. And, you know, I mean, inquiring minds must know. And uh, and so, you know, I, I forgot all about it. The book came out, and that was that. And then um, a year later, I received in the mail that one of the two items had been declassified. 
And I went, wow, I mean, I'm ripping this open thinking, you know, this is like the, the greatest journalistic moment of my career so far. And, and I rip it open. And what was declassified was a handwritten note from uh, George Bush the Sr. to uh, David McCullough, the, the author of all those great, um, you know, biographies, those great historical biographies. And the note, I'm paraphrasing here, said something to the effect of either the White House truly is haunted or uh, the thunderous applause is still reverberating around the building from the lecture you gave last night. Thank you so much for coming here. I really appreciate it. That was it. That was classified. Now declassified. Thanks to yours truly. And, and you know the funny thing? As soon as as soon as I was, I read it and I looked at it and I, I said I actually felt kind of dirty. I said here was just a, a, a personal thank you from one man to another for something that was done and really none of my business or anyone else's business. And now it's out there for all to see. Just a, a handwritten thank you and a and a little you know pithy joke at at the building being haunted. Um, but uh, but there it is. That's just yet another reason why I don't want to be president. I can't have my handwritten notes declassified years later. <laughs> you I'm, I just want to throw a, a spanner in the works here because you, sure. you've talked you've talked about um, the extraordinary sense of, sense of history of, of, of the White House um, and the the historical events that that took place there. Is is there not a danger that that it's like when we go to something like Hampton Court or the Tower of London over here, that that knowledge, it, 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 it does colour the, the experiences. And sure. Could, it could be suggested, you know, that what you're dealing with really is expectation and suggest, suggestibility. Absolutely, well, except, let me, throw a, let me throw a bigger spanner in the work. Okay. Uh, except in regard to the White House, the people I interviewed, there are about 100 employees of that building who are among the most credible witnesses uh, on the planet, not because they're elected politicians. Those guys can be on drugs and they can be insane. We don't test them for that. But the employees, now this, these 100 employees work for the White House. It doesn't matter which political party's uh, in power. These are Secret Service agents. They're butlers, cleaning crew, groundskeepers, um, you know, the, the cooks and stuff like that. These folks work for that building, and some of them have worked there for 30, 40 years. And they're drug tested. They're psychologically tested. Their background checked all because they're around the president, the first family, foreign dignitaries, and so on. And so when they say they saw something, that's as reliable a witness as you're going to get because, first of all, to see someone out of place, someone who doesn't belong in a location, is, is a rather high-level alert. You know, hey, there's someone in a hallway up, and there's not supposed to be anyone here right now. This is the White House, of, of course. You know, so so uh, while while I, I agree with you, uh, with with most of us regular folks, um, that yeah, there there is some expectations, and, and we might very well see something. Um, I, I think with those employees, you got to give them the benefit of the doubt that their job is to be vigilant and to you know serve serve this incredible building. And and also too, I I got to go to the Tower of London once. I got to see the changing of the keys and and met with some. Of of the Yeoman Warder, and you know those guys are pretty reliable too. You've got yeah, distinguished, yeah, you know, distinguished military careers, long-standing and good conduct medal. I think it was like a minimum of like twenty-something years before you could even apply to be a Yeoman Warder. You know, um, 20, 20 plus years in the military, and so uh, and these guys live there, live there, work there, and 
I, I, they were just telling me very matter of fact about their their ghost experiences, and uh, I said, "Wow, this is this is great. I love that. I love when you have really reliable witnesses who are speaking about it in a matter of fact kind of way. There's, there's not sensationalism here. They're not looking for their their minutes of fame. They don't need it. You know, they work at the White House or they work at the Tower of London. Um, you know, so uh, I, I just I love that. I love when when history and and reliable witnesses come together. It just makes for just riveting uh, riveting ghost lore." Now, I'm, that, uh, that was the answer I was hoping for, because uh, certainly, I mean, I've never been to the White House. Um, I once flew over it. Um, Not anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, we were on our way to Atlanta, and we could definitely see the Washington Monument. But, uh, but I've been to the Tower of London. It's a place I do know well. And it's like you say, there you have some of the, the most credible witnesses uh, right. possibly on the planet. Um, you know, men with... You've already said it, years of military experience, some of the most staid, reliable witnesses that you could you could uh, wish for, and yet they've had some extraordinary experiences, and these experiences have been properly documented. Right, right. I, I, it, that was such a great place. I, I um... Oh gosh, they were telling me stories about how in the chapel, how um, you know they've they've got these uh, kneelers. So if you, you sit in a chair and there's a kneeler in front of you to, that you bring down and you can put back up, and how uh, you know one of the, the women cleaning was just watching one by one as the kneelers are just going bang, 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 you know. And uh, there was one yeoman warder they called the baby. He was in his forties, you know, the youngest one, and uh, he talked about his first night there. He had a teddy bear from his childhood on a shelf, and he watched it float into the middle of the room, fall to the floor, and just matter of fact as can be, he said, "All right, so I guess I was." just introduced to the ghosts of the tower of london and uh i said that's great you know i mean you know first night laying down and, and your your teddy bear levitates and uh I, I i just love that stuff these these buildings are so storied already and if if there's anything in the world that could make them even more interesting it's it's a resident ghost so one thing i did want to ask you jeff i mean did you in your research there's a lot of stories about some paranormal uh activities that were uh, initiated by some of the the people involved at the White House, for instance. Yeah, sure. One. Did you did you un, un, um, uncover any of those? Yeah, well, we know Lincoln. Uh, we, we know Mary Todd Lincoln probably had many seances in the White House, and we know the president attended at least one of them. President Lincoln was at at least one seance to try to contact their son Willie. Uh, she was they, the whole family was pretty broken up. He was a pretty special and well loved kid by uh, by all accounts uh, of what you read. Just that he was a real character. He would salute foreign dignitaries, and they would salute back. And just they said he was just a charming, smart kid. And, um, you know, would, would build forts up on the roof of the building and, and just really well-liked and well-loved by not just his family. So really broken up. The president attended at least one of these seances and paid a political price for it. The papers, you know, were saying, what's this, what's this president doing having psychics in the White House? Now, there were stories about the, the Carter daughters using Ouija boards in the... Um, uh, in the Lincoln bedroom, um, and I'm quite certain, you know, there's other stuff that we're never going to hear about. You have to remember, once you're up above the first floor of the White House, those are the living quarters, and the only way to get up there is by invitation of the first family. The Secret Service are not supposed to go up there unless requested or there's an emergency and, and duty calls. So the only way to get up there is by invitation of the first family. And uh, there's really, there's only, it's an, it's an incredible place. There's only eight hours uh, between presidencies where there's no occupation. There's literally, once, once there's a changeover of the White House, there's a whole team in place. They have to move the old president out in four hours and the new president in in four hours. So there's, you've got a, you know, eight hours every four or eight years where there's, 
you know, technically no uh, occupier of the White House. So you just can't get up there uh, without invitation of the first family. And there's, there's meant to be some privacy. If you think about this job, and not just the job, but also the, the whole first family, you're in a fishbowl, quite literally, you know. I mean, the world sees everything that you do. You can't go outside without Secret Service details. So if they're going to go up there and hold seances or break out Ouija boards, chances are we're mostly not going to know about it unless they choose to tell us. And often they don't tell us at least until they're out of office for a good four or eight years when they really have very little political influence anymore. You're not going to believe it, but we just about run out of time with you, Jeff. Oh, I do believe it. Jeff? Yes. Okay. I just You just faded off on me there. I'm sorry. Uh, I was turning so back into anyways, I'm going to talk to you tomorrow night uh, on Ghost Chronicles Next Generation, along with uh, Nick from the Ghost of Adventurers, I understand, right? Sounds good. So uh, I'm going to let you go, unless you have anything else you'd like to add. I just want to say vote if you haven't already. Vote early, vote often. All right, Jeff. And I'd just like to say that was an absolute pleasure listening to Jeff. Ah, well, thank you very much. So, Jeff, thank you very much. It's been Jeff Belandria. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Good night, Jeff. Welcome to Talkinet, radio with a cutting edge. Feel the need to do some soul searching or make some changes in your life to create a more positive future? Then Circles of Wisdom is just the place for you. Circles of Wisdom is a metaphysical bookstore and more, located on Route 28 in downtown Andover, Massachusetts. We carry a large selection of books and music, crystals and gemstones, jewelry and gifts, sage, aromatherapy, and so much more all in a relaxing and welcoming atmosphere. We offer classes on a variety of topics like yoga, Reiki, psychic development, alternative healing, and personal transformation. For guidance on this journey we call life, get a reading from one of our many readers at Circles of Wisdom, 90 Main Street in downtown Andover, right next to Bertucci's. Call us at 978-474-8010 or check us out on the web at www.circlesofwisdom.com. Lots to see and do in a feel-good place an oasis in this hectic world. They're creepy and they're kooky, mysterious and spooky. They all talk ugly gooky, the Parrax family. The shows are paranormal, not stuffy but informal. The topics are abnormal, the Parrax family. They're strange, deranged. Unrestrained. So grab your favorite brew. It's time to rendezvous as we give the awards to the Miller X family. Alright. Hi, I'm Ron Kolick, author and lead investigator of the New England Ghost Project, New England's own Van Helsink. And I'm Ann Kerrigan, the blonde bombshell, and I'm the lead investigator of East Bridgewater's Most Haunted. And we'd like to invite you to tune in. Ghost Chronicles, the next generation. Every Wednesday night. At 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on www.toginet.com. So, so Ann, what are they going to hear on this stupid show? What are they going to hear? They are going to hear things that they can't believe are happening. Like uh, Beyond Bizarre. And Cemetery Tripping. Oh, that's your deal, right? Absolutely. Yeah, one of these days you're going to get so scared of one of these cemetery tripping things that uh, I'll have to get a new (laughs) co-host. I am brave beyond belief. Yeah, we'll see. scares me. So anyways, if you're bored and you got nothing to do on Wednesday night, tune in to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation with Ann and Ron. See you then.
And we are back. You are listening to Ghost Chronicles International with the gold standard in ghost hunting, Mr. Mm-hmm. Stephen Parsons, and no humble New England's own Van Helsink, me. Right here on Tojanet, uh, Pararex, Ghost Channel, and beyond. Wasn't Jeff so, Fab? What's that? Wasn't Jeff Fab? Fab? Fab. Fabulous. I, I haven't heard that since the Beatles were here. I'm sorry. My God. What, still, what, just, what, what, a, what an absolute fount of knowledge. Right. Was it a proper interview? Uh, I don't think he drew breath, did he? But so, <laughs> much, so much information. He, he is, and he's going to be on tomorrow night uh, along with uh, Nick from the Ghost Adventurers. And uh, Ann and I will be uh, jello wrestling on them for uh, information. Stories. Anyways. Um, once again, uh, do you believe? I mean, I mean, our, I, I saw how the, how you kind of correlated the the two between uh, you know old buildings and the, the White House, and then the the presumption that because they're old, they're haunted, and yada yada, and stuff like that. But I mean, you can understand uh, the information you got from reliable interests. I mean, oh God, yeah. Absolutely. I mean, as as Jeff was saying, in, uh, and and is echoed over here in with the places like the Tower of London, you have some of the most reliable witnesses available, uh, men with you know, years of military service who are not there in any capacity to look for ghosts. Uh, I mean, obviously they have an interest in the history of the building, and obviously, you know, I'm sure as Cal would would say that they're human and subject to all the human frailties. But these these people put their names, uh, you know, to the to the record and the accounts of their experiences, and you know, they must have the highest degree of integrity and reliability, at least to the accuracy of what they perceived. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned the, the part about uh, some of our, our rumors about some of the people involved in the lighthouse doing, uh, you know, like seances and stuff like that. And, uh, of course, and Nancy Reagan was very much involved in astrology and everything else. I mean, was it the same way for, for your queens and kings in the U.K.? Uh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Certainly, there are. I mean, there is actually a book um, that deals with that. I think it's called the the Prince and the Paranormal, um, which looked at. I mean, the whole family has got an association with the supernatural and the paranormal, uh, Freemasonry. Um, you know, all of the royal palaces over here have long-standing ghost stories attached to them. Uh, Windsor Castle, Balmoral, Glam's, um, which isn't actually a royal palace. Um, the Castle of May. You know, all, all of our sort of royal palaces and buildings associated with royalty have not just one, but many well-attested ghost stories. Um, and the royal family itself... Um, have a, I, I guess have an interest. I mean, I know from a conversation that took place a few years ago between myself and a leading member of the British royal family that uh, certainly there are personal interests um, in some of the ghosts that, that haunt the the royal palaces. Um, you know, I don't think they I don't think that they've ever gone ghost hunting as such, but um, 
you know, they certainly have an interest. Certainly, um, did, did they bring sem- psychics in? Did they bring mediums? Did they bring? Did they dabble with divination? Do you? Do, is there any information? The, the, on that? There was. There was definitely stories attached to uh, some of the nineteenth, uh, sort of early twentieth century Victoria Edward, um, and I think Queen Mary, all dabbled. Should we? Some, should we say with spiritualism? Um, in some way, Queen Queen Victoria, probably the most uh, famous of all, um, who who I, I, I can't say dabbled, probably more strongly than that. Actually, was probably at some level an active spiritualist or user of spiritualist techniques and methods, certainly to con- uh, to try it in the contact of of uh, Prince Albert. Um, we have we have a culture of secrecy far greater over here than than you have in America, um, and so finding out that information uh, comes about in books and in memoirs, and it, you you always get you know you have to question the, the reliability of it sometimes. Or, um, but there is there have always been strong rumours circulating around Queen Victoria and the spiritualist movement. Well, you know, it does make sense. I mean, that was a time when it was really strong. And, uh, but I mean, we we have other stories associated with the the White House as well. It, it, there's there's a black cat, for instance, that has been seen in the basement. And it, whenever it's seen, it, it forte, foretells uh, uh, a natural uh, uh, disaster or a not a you know a crisis in in U.S. history. But some of these some of these things don't don't really pan out, do they? Isn't there a um a legend or a, a a tale that all presidents in ending in years ending with a zero or a double zero end up dead in office. Attempted assassination or assassination. There is a yeah. a synchronicity on that, but uh, yeah. but the, I mean there have been some distinct gaps in that, haven't there? Uh, I can't really say offhand. I don't. I don't I think George Bush managed to survive. That we know of. <laughs> I mean, Cheney shot a lot of guys, so I mean, I mean, he might have killed the president. We didn't even know it. Could have been standing, you know what I mean? I'm just I'm saying. Just... Yeah, I'm just saying. Sorry. No, it's just the the line breaks occasionally. Uh, one of the joys of I, I agree, one of the joys of Skype. But you know, speaking about the, the linking, and we were talking about him a little bit before, and, and some of the things. Of course, he's been seen many times by even uh, visiting dignitaries at the White House. Uh, for instance, I believe it was the Queen of Denmark. Or uh, I, I, God, I wish I'd get my facts a little clearer. But and uh, I think Winston Churchill was another uh, who witnessed Abe, the ghost of Lincoln. So that's kind of fascinating in, in itself, don't you believe? Well, I. I... <laughs> I can't really see someone like Winston Churchill um, going on the record, which he did, um, to claim that he saw the deceased spirit of Abraham Lincoln without due cause. It would strike me as a somewhat strange thing to do for a man of, you know, Churchill's standing. Right. Wait a minute. Wasn't Churchill actually related to... Uh, Churchill had an American mother. Um, if you follow these the uh, the lineage, I believe he was actually related to. Oh, I'm trying to think. One of the American presidents, and I I'm, I'm not sure who at this time, so I don't want to really 
throw a name out there, but I, I believe if you go through his lineage, there is a, you know, like the seven degrees of Michael Baker or whatever his name is. Uh, no, I, he's, he definitely had an American mother, and on his mother's side, he was, uh, you know, sort of connected to uh, your first tier, should we say, um, you know, for the, the sort of first echelon of American society. So he was terribly well connected, and, you know, it wouldn't be at all a surprise to discover that he was linked to or related to one of the former presidents. But he did, um, I'm virtually certain, uh, exp- see um, or report seeing the ghost of Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. Somebody no doubt correct me in a minute and put us both right, but uh, I'm, I, I'm I virtually certain. Yeah, you know, and another interesting fact was is we talked about Lincoln and and Mary Todd and and the son dying there and so forth. Did you know that? Um, of course, the. the in, in my book, Ghost Today, we, we talk uh, a little bit about the uh, ghost train of Abraham Lincoln that is seen supposedly. Oh, yeah, still yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, we're aware of that one over here. That makes it into all of the books. Yeah, and, but did you know that when they went, took um, Lincoln's body, body to be buried in uh, Springfield, is they dug up uh, his son as well and took him on the same train? I didn't know that. Yeah, and so... Uh, they, they, he was there, and his son was both on the train. They actually dug him up to to be buried. And Lincoln's body in itself uh, was moved several times once it reached Springfield. There was attempts to rob it and even hold hold it at a ransom at one time. Cool. <laughs> okay, if that's what you um, got to say. No, 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 no. Um, yes, I was uh, sorry. My attention was distracted by. I was trying to answer your previous question, and I've managed to locate the book, "The Prince yeah. and the Paranormal," which is the psychic bloodline of the British royal family, and in it is it does quite clearly say that um, that Victoria was effectively an actual uh, was practicing spiritualist uh, and took great interest in in the spiritualist movement and. Um, indeed partook in seances but it also um, although there is as I say we have this um, air of secrecy over here uh, a lot more so than you in America mm-hmm. it does talk about um, the Queen uh, the Queen Mother and Prince Philip all having spiritual spiritualist leanings and psychic connections um, and talks about also the, the Duke of Kent and Queen Mary and George V. So there is there is a quite clear sort of link right throughout um, all of the British royal family since the middle part of the 19th century. And an active interest certainly can be shown in spiritualist, um, you know, sort of activities. So I, mean, I hope that answers that earlier question of yours. I, I guess it does. I guess it does. So there was a, definitely an interest into it, and, and um, it, you know, it, it just it just seems that you know you have so much history, and in in your kings, I mean, we don't see our presidents like all over the place, but it seems like your kings and queens are like in every castle and 
Oh, Ooh. one in particular, yeah. Mary Queen of Scots is everywhere. Uh, her and Anne Boleyn, honestly, you can't, you can't go into a building in this country without the ghost of Anne Boleyn or Mary Queen of Scots being there. You know, if, if there was an award for the amount of places a single ghost can haunt, um, I think it's a straight toss-up between Anne Boleyn or Mary Queen of Scots. Really? Um, th- there must be 20-plus for both of them. Um, in fact, I think Anne Boleyn is seen in two places. Her, her ghost is reported on the one of her anniversaries. I can't remember its birth, death, or or, or otherwise. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she's seen in a, an old family ho- home in Norfolk, I think Bolling Hall. Uh, but at the same time, she's also seen in the Tower of London. So there we have a ghost by locating. Um, you know, I don't know who the ghosts' union is, but I hope they're getting well paid for this. Well, you know, we, we, we once again, we don't know what pli- what laws of physics apply to the spirit world if the spirit world exists. So maybe it's not a problem to be two places at once. Uh, well, these two ex-queens of um, England and Scotland certainly are busy ladies. Well, mm-hmm. they are now the dead anyway. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They probably get a good agent, you know what I mean? <laughs> certainly better than... Uh, than some. Yeah. So, um, it, I want to ask about Halloween. How did you spend it? Oh, you want to go back to that? Well, if, well, I've told you what I was up to over Halloween, sort of. Yeah, no, well, you talked about oh. the, your, your great article in the Wall Street Journal. Well, that was all is, that was important, really, for me. That was all I did that was important. You were having a really good time over there, weren't you, with um, Day of the Dead or... Yeah, yeah, we, we, we did a lot of things, actually, uh... It's an interesting thing. Um, I had some very interesting experiences and different events that we did. Uh, just last weekend, we did an event at the um, uh, Hooten Mansion in North Adams. And we were in the Masonic Hall up there. And uh, we did a little glass swirling. I think you know about that, right? Uh, not, not so much throwing, but yeah. I mean, I've seen the odd one get flung about. Ghost willing, right? So I actually had a uh, Saint Saint Paul uh, jacket on from the from the uh, Masons, along with one of the skunk hats. Um, you know, those big long admiral hats with the fur feathers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I put one of Pictures, those on. Please. Yeah, yeah. And then of course I was blindfolded with the Mason blindfold of, of the cigarette ceremonies. And we went to the center of the hall and we did glass swirling. Uh, so it, it was uh, it was interesting because, you know, this is glass swirling. Take it for what it's worth. I'm not trying to prove that this is evidence or anything else. I'm just saying we did this. And according to the glass swirling, there was this energy that came through from the Mason Hall that was neither male nor female. And, and actually what we kind of got out of it, it was actually the accumulation of all the energy of all the ceremonies that they did at this place. So, it, it, in a way, it kind of does make sense even more than if it was a ghost, in that all this energy that is performed uh, in all these ceremonies could be accumulated somehow, and then through glass swirling, to where the device that is, uh, it was exposed. Uh, so I, I found that a little bit interesting. Um, do you know, there is, there's always a lot to talk about this, this sort of energy that we give off and it gets absorbed. And, and it's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah, yeah. it is a very, I mean, you know, 
I can see the appeal of it. You know, it's a very appealing idea that, that you know, in some, in some ritual or some moments of trauma or, or angst or stress that we, we suddenly give off this huge burst of energy that's, that's just absorbed into the walls. Um, and then uh, my problem, though, comes back to, to physics. You know, uh, you know, I've got a VCR and a DVD recorder, and I know how the sound and the pictures get onto it, and I know how the sound and the pictures get off it, and it's a very complicated piece of technology. But, you know, I, I, I still have this problem with, with the, the stone tape, which is essentially what we're talking about. Um, well, how, are we really talking the stone tape? I mean, we, we know kind of We, we kind know, of are, aren't we? You know, we've... we've well, we kind of are talking about the stone tape because, you know, we're talking about thoughts, emotions, rituals being being embedded into things or mm-hmm. recorded into things. And unfortunately, I just don't see the physics of it. It just doesn't, you know, I, ghosts don't, don't for me, they don't, they don't break the laws of physics. I think physics can sit comfortably with ghosts. I, I um, think so. I, I kind of would disagree. No, I think, it, no, well, I mean... It may be from, an art world, but... From, from my perspective of physics, from my perspective on physics, I don't think, you know, ghosts don't, even the concept of survival of death doesn't, for me, and for many physicists, damage the laws of physics. But this idea that a wall can record and then play back, that actually does. And I, I think that's a real problem. Um, what well, it doesn't mean to say it doesn't happen, but what we need to do is we need to work on a mechanism. You know, instead of just blindly accepting that that it's possible, mm-hmm. and it might be, what we need to, to do is we need to start examining possible ways it could happen. You know, how could, it, how could a, a wall record? How could a wall play back? How could somebody there then perceive those playbacks or even in, instigate the recording? And if we can start to understand the mechanisms, then I think that, you know, we, we might get a better grip on the, the, the possible theory. You know, people people say, "Oh, you know, Richard Felix is a great proponent of the stone tape." Oh, uh, absolutely! And of course, but, he has a, he has a way to. But isn't uh, it theory without substance? Right. Wouldn't I mean? What? It's theory without substance. You're an environmental scientist. You, you mm-hmm. understand this idea of uh, you know, if we can find the substance, then the theory will will fall into place. If we can find a mechanism by which somebody can record the even inadvertently into a wall and then inadvertently pick up yeah um the those impressions decades eons later then then we're, we're halfway there aren't we we've got the mechanism what what if energy travels dimensionally yeah but these are just we we there are lots of theories but nobody to my knowledge anywhere within paranormal research has ever, or parapsychology, has ever gone out to deliberately test, develop equipment or experiments or to test this idea of can, can a wall record? Can it record anything at all? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, it, that, that to me is the problem. Somebody in the chat room is talking about water and, yeah, I've got a rant somewhere on, on the Parascience website that... that that looked at the possibility of water being a, a, a recording medium. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I think, you know, instead of just accepting these ideas, it's like the poltergeist one, isn't it? Uh, poltergeists are always or, or nearly always involve 
prepubescent teenage girls. Yeah, uh, I and don't in know. Fact, and in fact, the documents invariably suggest that, well, in actual fact, they don't. You know, there are just as many middle-aged and elderly people inflicted by a poltergeist um, as there are, you know, prepubescent teenage girls. And yet mm-hmm. every parapsychologist, every paranormal researcher trots it out like it's, like it's you know, f- a stated fact. fact. Like it's fact. And it just isn't a fact, is it? It's They're just right. an unproven theory. Anything, um, anything that we do in the paranormal, as far as I'm concerned, is all theory. I don't believe well, there is. Well, there, really- there are certain things that we can that we can say are factual. For example, we know but, that certain. Well, we know that certain things within the environment can mimic paranormal experiences. Yeah, but that's not. If you know, all right, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you go. Well, I'm only saying can mimic paranormal experiences. Right. Yeah. That, um, so we we can look for those and we can we can we can uh, possibly find them and say, well, you know, there is a, there is a a mimicking factor here too. It may be paranormal, but there is something that we know creates uh, these these similar experiences. We we may not be able to tell one from the other, um, but we know that certain environmental things will right. mimic a paranormal experience. So we, we can move it forward a little bit in some areas. No, all we're basically is, is uh, eliminating things that we can identify. Well, paranormal investigation, as I've always said, we can't measure the unknown, but we can measure the known, and that's all we can measure. Right, but oh. that's... So, I mean, even what, whatever you're left with is... Unknown. Unknown. We don't so know then, it's paranormal. Then you can create your theories. Uh, yes, but, but unknown is. Yes, but you. If you're going to create a theory, you create your theory, and then you create, uh, you develop the test for that hypothesis, don't you? And that's what's lacking. What what all too often happens within paranormal research is somebody comes up with a great theory and everybody else just says, that's a great idea, it must be fact, and they all start repeating it one after the other. Hmm. What should happen is somebody comes up with a great theory and somebody says, right, okay, now we'll go and test it. Right. But that that's the bit that doesn't happen. Um... It doesn't. <laughs> I'm trying to think. Uh, I am. I am thinking here, but yeah, I guess. I guess you're right. Uh, you know, like the the theory of uh, EMF, for instance. Yeah, it's more or less accepted, but still, they come up with lots of theories. But we really don't know. You know, does a ghost emit EMF? Does a, the materialization of a ghost? Uh, create a disturbance in the electromagnetic field. You know, there's a lot of particular things um, that we have theories for, but we, you're right, we can't prove them. And no. how can we prove them anyways? I mean, that's... Well, if we can pr- we, we, prove... Well, is, if you can't prove what a ghost is, how can you no, validate but, theory? But, sci- but science does give us some help here, doesn't it? Because it says, scientific principle says, you come up with a theory or a hypothesis... Right. Then you devise an experiment to test it. Then you evaluate the results. Then you reassess the theory. Then you retest, etc., etc., etc. Now, but what's not happening in in paranormal research? But can the science be applied to the paranormal? But no. Well, it it might be if somebody actually sits down and applies it. Because, and I'll tell you how it can be. And I'm not blowing my own trumpet, but here's an example. 
Um, every a lot of people for a long time accepted that the orb was paranormal, uh, but nobody, nobody actually did the critical test, and that was the test that we did. Do orbs exist within uh, the proximity, you know, within close proximity of the camera, where the flash can bounce off the dust? I mean, it was it was a simple, simple experiment that nobody had done. Because everybody was so blindly sticking all pictures on their websites, and they're still doing it today, and saying, hey, look, here is the ghost of, we had a really spooky night last night, and the, the videos will be online tomorrow. Amen. Blind acceptance is not a way of developing, you know, uh, knowledge. Uh, I agree, I agree. Uh, I was ranting I again, what's It's, it's just like... <laughs> So, I mean, you are saying that, but are you saying that a orb cannot be paranormal? No, no, and I've made that clear many, many times. What I've said is the experiment that we did critically, uh, crucially, proved one thing, and that is that the theory that dust or moisture close to the camera in a zone where the flash can bounce off it and reflect back down the lens axis onto the sensor mm-hmm. or the film can produce orbs. Right. And, in fact, produces the majority of them that we see. Exactly. Uh, but it doesn't mean that things like corpse candles and, and a whole raft of other phenomena are suddenly disproved. So, I and mean, so that's, you take- that's our, but Steve, isn't that our problem? Is that yeah. we only disprove things, we can't really prove them. So, we, that's why we'll never be able to really prove the paranormal, will we? Well, let me, let, me, let me take that a step further. If you go to a coconut shy and you're presented with 10 coconuts and you throw balls at the coconuts, you knock them down one at a time, eventually you'll have one, one coconut left. And paranormal investigation has got to be more like that. We take one theory, the theory of the orbs being caused by dust close to the camera, and we test it. And now we can, we can move on to look at other types of light anomaly, other types of phenomena, without wasting our time on these dreadful things that people hoik onto the websites week after week and claim that they're paranormal. You're not so, going to believe it. We're out of time, so I guess we'll just have to be... Uh, so, sorry, folks, I was ranting again. Yeah, but that's all right. I mean, I love listening to you anyways, even if you are wrong 90% of the time. <laughs> The gold standard of being wrong. I know, I know. I can't say a thing now. You know, I mean, I just, you know, when you come over here, I'm just going to have to kiss your ring and that'll be it. <laughs> anyways, uh, you have been listening to Ghost Chronicles International with the Sneaky Fox. So, anyways, tune in next week. Good night, God bless. Good night, God bless. From ghoulies to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good Lord.